Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to create powerful and sustainable professional development for your colleagues. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Joyce Matthews. Welcome to Lesson Impossible's five-part series on educational leadership. In this series of episodes, we'll hear from Anthony Turcala about the nature of the job of school administrator, from Craig Randall about a trust-based model of observation and feedback, from Rolina Valentine about overcoming extreme obstacles, from Joyce Matthews about training teachers and administrators to lead their own professional development, and from Charles Williams on leading through crisis like, for instance, a pandemic. My hope is that by the end of these five episodes, you'll have a clearer idea of what school leaders do, the challenges they face, the connections they make within their schools, and how they grow as professionals. I have a riddle for you. Who teaches the teachers how to teach other teachers how to teach? Fortunately, this question has an easy answer. Joyce Matthews. In fact, Joyce teaches teachers, deans, administrators, district principals, superintendents, and more, not just how to facilitate professional development for their colleagues, but how to make that process self-sustaining. In our interview, Joyce mentions how her greatest wish is to become redundant, which really struck a chord with me. Isn't that what all effective teachers seek to be? Not to be redundant from the beginning, of course but to reach a point in our students' learning journeys where they no longer need us, but carry the wisdom they gained from us forward? Joyce Matthews creates her own redundancy by publishing books, such as a recent release that contains a series of professional development scripts for facilitators to follow, as well as a novel that we discuss, and by facilitating workshops, which we talk about in depth. Joyce and I spoke in June over the Zencaster recording app. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me all the way from Scotland in, in what is my morning and your evening, I'm assuming? It is, yes. It's uh, nearly six o'clock. And to start, do you mind just describing who you are and what your role is in education? Certainly. Uh, I'm Joyce Matthews. I was a physical education teacher. I qualified in Scotland 33 years ago. Seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, and the year that I qualified in Scotland as a teacher, there were absolutely no teaching jobs in Scotland for physical education teachers. So the whole of my year dispersed. I ended up in England where I taught physical education for 15, 16 years before I moved into training teachers and helping teachers to be better at delivering really effective physical education lessons. Um, did that for quite a few years. And then in 2011, I decided that I was going to set up my own business, uh, designing and facilitating leadership programs. And I, since then, I've been doing that all over the world. And then two years ago, I launched my own program to train 
designers and facilitators of leadership to make it much more sustainable. Um, I realised that I couldn't keep travelling backwards and forwards to China and Japan and Africa, that I had to help teachers to design their own leadership programmes and help other teachers in their countries. So I now train teachers to design and facilitate programmes, professional development. That's what I do. Do you miss the classroom at all or are you kind of ready to move into the older student population that are teachers? Yeah, I I don't miss the classroom. Um, Some people might say that teachers are sometimes just as difficult to teach as students. Um, (laughs) And sometimes display the worst student behaviour. I still play field hockey, so I still get to interact with children and I, I coach some of the younger hockey sessions at our club. So I still have that connection with children. I don't miss being in the classroom at all. And I love working with teachers. What would you say is your personal pedagogical perspective when it comes to teaching teachers, especially about leadership? Well, my belief is that pedagogy is for teachers. And as soon as teachers move up to be leaders of other teachers, leaders of professionals, they should be learning about andragogy. And this is not a word that is used very often in education. And andragogy, pedagogy is leading children, teaching children. Andragogy is leading adults, teaching adults. But for me, the biggest difference between pedagogy and andragogy is the fact that adults come with experience and how do you then design to take account and to respect and value the experience of every single person in front of you? Because if you're a superintendent with hundreds of people in front of you at a conference or if you're a principal with 200, 300 teachers in your school, you can't know everybody. So how do you design your staff meetings or your speeches or your staff trainings to make sure that you pay respect and you give them credit for all the experience and the skills that you've got. So that that's one of the main things for me. How do you how do you design and take into account their experience? The second thing for me is andragogy takes a lot of time. Because adults have experience of life, we like to connect our learning. So we need a lot of time to reflect. Uh, So, for example, a lot of schools will come to me and say, could you do a staff training after school? In Scotland, we call it a twilight session. And they will say, can you come and do a twilight session for my staff? And I'll say, well, how long have you got? Um, We've got an hour or maybe 90 minutes at the most. Now, I will refuse because andragogy takes a long time for deep learning to occur. It's tiring. You use up a lot of deep thinking and and calories as well when you're, you're thinking deeply. You can do a quick twilight session after school, but it will be superficial thinking. So it might be a quick fix, sticking plaster. Here's a resource we all need to read. That's fine. But true andragogy takes a lot of time because you have to build in a lot of reflection time for adults to link things together. So we've got taking into account experiences. We've got reflection time. And the third thing for me, the biggest difference is in some pedagogical practices we are the experts of content and we fill children up with content we tell them what we know because we're the experts in content a facilitator 
is an expert in process. We do not have to be experts in content. So the skill for a teacher to moving from a content specialist to a process specialist can be quite scary because it's all about letting go. And it's letting go of this former position where you're in front of all these people telling them what you know to a position where you've got to trust that the people in front of you will learn exactly what they need to know if you've designed this the best way for them to learn. So it's kind of scary and fun. As you were talking, one thing that also occurred to me that I think might be a little bit different between adults and kids is that kids, when they're in school, are open to the idea of learning and know that they're probably wrong. I don't want to say wrong, but know that they probably have more work to do and are constantly getting hopefully good feedback. And so that ego around being pushed in their thinking or asked to consider something new, that's just part of the rhythm of their day. But for adults, and especially teachers who are used to being that sage on the stage, to be asked to reconsider or think from someone else's point of view, or that I think can also almost feel threatening. Yes, indeed, and can be very scary. And you can see sometimes teachers who perhaps have been encouraged to come along and they're not ready for it. Um, A lot of teachers, there's a piece of research that I use and it talks about some adults are more adult than other adults. (laughs) (laughs) Some teachers are ready for andragogy because it's tough, it's hard work. Other teachers want to be treated like children and they just want you to tell them. And that's how I get into this in the first place because I was running courses for teachers Um, And I was just telling them what I thought they needed to know. And I was giving them resources and and they kept coming back. And I thought, you know, what's going wrong? Because I was giving them a short term quick fix, my answer. And as soon as they got out of a situation where my answer fitted and they got into a situation where it didn't fit, I hadn't taught them how to think about that. I hadn't taught them how to think for themselves. So that's when I realized that the stage on the stage didn't really work for teachers Um, And I needed to find a different way to do it. And I got into facilitation and it's absolutely been profound. And once you experience it and you find out about it and you get it, it's mind bending and life changing. Do you mind kind of walking me through an outline of what one of your, your trainings would look like for teaching me how to best facilitate other adults? Certainly. Um, I do a three-day program for teachers. Um, Teachers are the best people to train as facilitators of andragogy because you already have the skills and it's a case of just sliding along the teaching spectrum. So um, the thing about facilitation, which a lot of people don't really realise, the majority of the work is in the design. And it will take, if I'm designing a one-day course, it will take me between two and four days to design a one-day course. So it's very, very design heavy and it takes a lot of time. So we spend a lot of the time in the training doing that. So the first day of the three-day program would be about andragogy and and principles of andragogy and, and how that applies to teaching and leading people. And we start to introduce the basic concepts of andragogy design Uh, And we look at how to design objectives for professional learning for andragogy. Indeed, too, 
Um, it's very design heavy and we look at designing different sessions. And as we're doing all of this, we are practicing at the same time. So it's building up not only the confidence in the knowledge of andragogy design and andragogy facilitation, but the practice as well. So day two is all about design and tools and techniques and how to build a whole day's design session. And then day three is about doing it. It's about putting it into practice. So in the whole of day three, the delegates will the delegates run the day. We have four live design sessions, live facilitation sessions where they use their design that they've worked out over the last day and perhaps overnight as well. And they facilitate each other. And a theme that runs through the whole of the three days is we also learn how to give evidential feedback to facilitators, which is based purely on what they see and what they hear. So it's not subjective. It's the way we would also run a difficult conversation. And it means then that when these facilitators do go off and facilitate, that they then have a support network and they can keep learning because they can go back to their facilitators and say, you know, remember that formula we learned for facilitation on, on the course? Could you give me some facilitation on my next session? I want some feedback. Can you give me some design facilitation or some, um, sorry, design feedback or some facilitation feedback? Uh, because I want to keep getting better. So I provide them with the tools to keep learning and keep getting better as well. So that's roughly what the three days look like. In your role now, what would you say is your biggest success and where do you still find yourself struggling? Biggest success probably came out of my biggest struggle. And my biggest struggle came when I designed a program for some very senior system leaders and I was to train them as facilitators. So I was I went along to train them how to design and facilitate leadership programs. And I made the assumption because they had been school principals, they'd been the equivalent of superintendents, they had risen up the system. I made the assumption that they knew what facilitation was because it's a word that we use a lot um, and lots of people talk about, oh, I facilitated this or I facilitated that. But the role of a professional facilitator is is quite a niche role. And I had made the assumption that they knew what a facilitator did and they knew what good facilitation was. So I ploughed on with this experience. And um, to be absolutely honest, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. And in day one, uh, middle of the afternoon, they revolted and said, no, we don't want this. Now, this was a three-day program. And so I suddenly thought, oh, my goodness, I, what have I done? You know, I can't do this anymore. Maybe I don't know my stuff. I totally dipped in terms of personal confidence. And so I did what I, I, I believe a good facilitator would do. I let them go off and learn on their own. I was present, but I encouraged them to do what they felt they needed to do to find the answers they needed to get. And they did go off to learn on their own. And that's the great thing about andragogy and adults learn at different paces to children and they need a lot of time to reflect. So good professional learning takes a long time. And luckily enough, they came back to me the next day and said, yes, you were right. We actually do need to know how to design and we need to know what to do to be able to do it. So we do want the programme that you're here to teach us. So we got back on track after a major hiccup and out of that came one of my biggest successes that they then designed within three days 
I had them designing a programme which became one of the most successful programmes for Education Scotland, for the, the, the government in Scotland to run out across all their head teachers in their schools. The programme is still running. So I am so proud that they designed a programme that is so successful and have the skills now to not only keep facilitating it, but they keep adjusting it um, because times change, head teachers need to change. They've got the skills to design it and to tweak it and to adjust it and keep facilitating it successfully. The feedback is still superb. Yeah, that's a, a really great point to your idea about not wanting to go in to design and then leave, is that once you leave, that program is fossilized in the time and place that it was designed and doesn't adapt to the, the needs of the new people that are taking whatever program it is. So my aim is always to make myself redundant. If I have made myself redundant, I've done my job. So I don't want to be the speaker that keeps appearing at every conference with the same speech and the same slides. I don't do speaking. So um, the reason I I came to this conclusion was I'd been travelling back and forwards to China for quite a few years and trying to persuade them that they, they could design their own programmes And obviously I got to the point where I suddenly thought this is totally unsustainable. If something happens like a pandemic and I can't fly all around the world, how do do these programmes continue? The only way for this programme and programmes like it to continue is for me to teach them how to do it themselves. So I always aim to make myself redundant. And if I do deliver a a leadership programme, I will then help you to learn how to design your own and facilitate your own so you can do it forever for the rest of you know education time and uh, while you're in education and for me that's the only way that education is truly sustainable don't give a man a fish teach a man how to fish for changing circumstances like a pandemic do you find that I'm not sure how I feel about the word but the softer skills of facilitation can that be taught in a non-person-to-person environment. My, my thought is just there's so much interplay of body language and reading the room and all of that. Yes, I, I absolutely agree with you, Aviva. Um, so the, the contracts that I had about to run when this pandemic hit, hit were all cancelled. They were all face-to-face contracts for training facilitators, they were all cancelled. And slowly as um, the teachers got back into the hang of remote remote working, they asked me if I could do training online. And I explained I could, but training an online facilitator is not the same as, you say, a face-to-face facilitator. It's different skills. The one thing that does work, though, if you are trained as a face-to-face designer and facilitator it does map across to online. So the face-to-face maps across really easily, same design skills, same design templates, design plans, and the skills and the tools and the techniques map across to online, but it doesn't work the other way. Mm. And that's really interesting. You wrote a novel from the point of view of a facilitator facilitating so it's actually, it's from the point of view of four characters in the session. Oh. So it's a, it's a three-hour facilitated session 
and it's seen and experienced through four characters within the session. And who are the four characters? Um, the four characters, there's a, a lady called Moira, there's a, a man called Manny, another one called Ronald, and another one called Elle, a lady called Elle. And they are, I suppose I chose them because they were characters that I have recognised in some of my sessions. I think I've also perhaps been them in some sessions. And I think they have traits and characteristics that all of us will recognise at some point. Wow, that's so cool. And I think definitely if anyone's worried about what facilitation might look like or how they might feel, that's sort of a great way to kind of tip your toe in the water and experience it through someone else's point of view. Yeah, that's it, exactly. And just like facilitation, there's about four different levels in the book so you can take it superficially and just read the story or if you are a facilitator you might want to read it and pull out some of the tools and techniques that the facilitator uses if you're an experienced facilitator you might want to read it and dig in a bit more to the presuppositions underneath it or to actually maybe empathize with the characters uh, so that the next time you're designing you might think oh I'm, I'm definitely not going to use that or I maybe will use a bit of that and adjust it and tweak it so I, I've designed it based on andragogy so that people can enter it at whatever level they want and get out of it whatever they want. And for a teacher that is thinking of making that transition into a leadership position do you have any advice for what they should be doing or learning or preparing? When I moved from just being a teacher into a head of department, uh, there, there was no training for me. Um, it was expected because you were a good teacher, you would automatically be a good leader of adults. But being a good teacher of children doesn't necessarily equate to having the, the leadership skills to deal with adults. And I wish I had sought out some training for me, some leadership training that relied on skills and not just knowledge. Programs on leadership that were very knowledge dependent came along and I went on all of those and they didn't teach me the skills I needed. So I felt I needed communication skills, I needed uh, coaching skills, I needed the art to learn the art of questioning to support other people in my department. So I would encourage teachers in that transitioning role to search for a program that is skill dependent that will actually teach you how to do it not just what to do. If you could design an ideal kind of school system that best allowed adult leaders to lead the best for their adult learners what would that system look like? I would have a program for every teacher, maybe once they've done a couple of years of teaching and just kind of settled into pedagogy. I would have a program in every school where every teacher at some point is trained to design and facilitate andragogy so that they can all help each other uh, and so that they don't need to bring in consultants, external experts. They don't need to use any of their school's budget or anybody else's budget to bring in all these people from outside, but they can then form their own self-sustaining, self-improving school or school system. So it might even be within a system of schools. There's, you know, the, the best people to find solutions to questions 
Are the people at the grassroots? Are the teachers? So it's not external consultants. We don't don't have silver bullets or the right answer for you because we're not in your classrooms. So to teach every teacher to be able to support each other, to me, that's a natural progression of teaching and teaching skills. I'm reflecting back about my own experience in trying to be a leader in my school in terms of other teachers and sharing practice and kind of like you said about looking back to your facilitation and going like, oh, what what was I doing? I can see the more that we're talking now, the different ways in which I perhaps could have better improved my communication and my, like you said, facilitation around the new ideas that I was discovering. And I was so I was so enthusiastic to share them that I didn't really step back and allow that questioning and that reflection and all of the things that you were talking about to happen. Yeah, and it's absolutely true. Um, we, we are enthusiastic. I mean, that's the great thing about teachers. We, we love teaching. We absolutely love teaching. And facilitation to me is, is just an extension of our teaching skills. And every teacher that wants to share and wants to stand on a platform and, and, and give other teachers their answers and tell them what works for them, it's all done with the best intentions. People don't do it to make teachers feel bad. But once you learn a little bit about the psychology of how adults learn and how to build confidence and what a presupposition is behind everything, if someone stands on a stage and says, I'm going to tell you what the right answers are, it presupposes that everybody who's listening doesn't have an answer, isn't capable of finding their own answers and and is respect of you and your answer and will take your answer and go away with it. So there are presuppositions to every behaviour and the presupposition behind a facilitator's design and facilitation behaviours is that the teachers in the room have the answers. They Facilitators have, have the belief that you have the right answers for your situation, your context, your school, your pupils. So it's a, quite a different presupposition. Who are the inspirations that you have in your own evolving practice when you're looking for new ideas or to feel better after a bad day, who are the leaders in your field that you look to? So I'm a a huge fan of Twitter and there are a great deal of very experienced, very elegant uh, facilitators on there So there are local facilitators that I'm in touch with and I I go to regular facilitation networks where I keep upskilling and keep learning new tools and techniques and and my professional development for the coming year is I want to develop more skills when it comes to clean language, which is a technique um, to keep my judgments and my biases out of my facilitation. Internationally, Canada is a great place for the development of facilitation. And there's an organisation which is worldwide and started in Canada, ICA, the Inter- Institute of Cultural Affairs. They run some great courses. Uh, and I went on a couple of their courses last year. So um, there's some great facilitators out there. And if I get fed up, um, I just need to contact them, look for them on Twitter, find a great facilitation conversation that's happening, perhaps even on LinkedIn, And if that fails completely, then I like to drink gin, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, 
Yes. The best teacher's feedback, an empty <laughs> bottle. <laughs> we, we're great gin producers in Scotland. Gins <laughs> and whiskey, so yeah, it's a great hobby of mine. <laughs> My last question would be, how would listeners be able to get in touch with you or find out more about what you do? I am on Twitter, uh, Joyce Matthews underscore. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, is there any other social media I'm not on? I also have a website, JoyceMatthewsPortfolio.com, uh, which I think I'm going to give you the details of. And I have a range of books which are available on Amazon. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your experience today and really, I think, getting a lot of the listeners, if they're anything like me, really thinking more clearly about the differences between teaching adults versus teaching students who are younger. So I, I appreciate that. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. More details about this episode, links to resources or people we mentioned, and information in general about the podcast and its mission can be found at lessonimpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes, forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Less Than Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin. 